sight, sound, smell, all of the things is the gateway to consent. What am I feeling? Is this a yes? Am I ready for penetration? Mm, Not quite yet. Or yes, I am. Am I ready for more? Do I need to slow down? It's tuning into what is happening right here, right now. It all comes back to the body. And when I say body, I mean the senses, all of them. Hey folks, welcome to the Brilliant Body Podcast, a forum to learn about and liberate the brilliance of your body and ultimately to expand the meaning and experience of intelligence. Join me, Ali Mazay, and other body masters to explore pioneering and varied perspectives on what it means and feels like to be embodied. So many people feel disconnected from their bodies due to emotional or physical pain or even conditioning and lack of education. Others feel quite at home in their bodies yet want to learn to have more pleasure, awareness, and access to the body's guidance. This podcast is for everybody. Each one of my trailblazing guests has studied their own bodies and others' bodies for decades and will share their expertise and unique mission, how to thrive as a body. So join us and reclaim your body's brilliance. In this episode, I have quite a conversation with my sexual trauma therapist colleague and friend, Rosemary Riggs. We're really exploring the sensual self, the sensing self, and the animal body within each of us. Sometimes that takes working with other animal bodies, in this case, Rosemary's horse healers, to understand more about our own sensing, sensual, safe animal bodies. Rosemary Riggs is a certified equine-guided educator, EGE, and yoga therapist who brings nearly two decades of practice and intensive study to her clients. As an EGE facilitator, Rosemary provides the bridge between the participant and horse, facilitating their interactions and drawing out and interpreting the horse's responses and how they relate to the participant's behaviors. The equine education team of horse and human encourages participants to become actively involved in their own learning and transformation. When working with her yoga therapy clients, Rosemary incorporates both Hatha and Kundalini yoga traditions to create an embodied and therapeutic experience for her clients. Most recently, Rosemary has designed a yoga practice on horseback for clients that would like to combine the benefits of equine therapy and yoga therapy. Partnering with horses and yoga poses allows for increased connection to one's breath and the centered nature of horses. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. My colleague and friend, Rosemary Riggs. Every time I go to your ranch in Malibu, I feel like I'm entering this vortex of goodness. Yeah, you are. (laughs) It's a very special place and you're a very special person Mm -hmm. and your relationship with your horses and with yoga and with your body are all something I really admire. And when I was thinking about this podcast, when I was thinking about different kinds of body brilliance, and I was specifically thinking about erotic brilliance. Yep. You're who I thought of because we've had several conversations about your capacity to 
experience pleasure and life force in your body and cultivate it in a way that I think people would really, really benefit to to hear about. So I would love to ask you some questions about it, but let's just begin with your body's relationship to horse bodies and how working with horses has inspired and influenced your way of relating to your own body. Yeah. Well, first of all, the feelings are mutual. I look to you as somebody who's so connected to their body and sexuality and just that ability to talk about it, to drop into it with ease. Mm -hmm. Uh, As you know, I absolutely love talking about sex and eroticism and sensuality. and, And for me, my journey into my body, into my, I'm going to call it really my sensuality was through horses. It pretty much started there or really was accentuated by that Mm -hmm. relationship? Yeah, I think so. Because as a little girl, feeling that connection to a sentient being that was safe and grounded and neutral, coming from a family of origin where I did not have a feeling of safety. Mm-hmm. I was not with sentient beings that were calm and neutral. And so that was really my first experience as a child with another being that was truly helping me feel safe in my own body and ultimately to connect to my own body. And I didn't understand that as a child. I didn't know why I liked horses so much. I was also a dancer. I didn't fully understand my body, my animal body. It loved what it loved. (laughs) And what I understand now as an adult and also as an equine assisted therapist and yoga therapist is that my body was seeking a sense of safety. Mm -hmm. It was seeking a way to regulate it was seeking a way to, to feel safe. So that was really my entry into it. Yeah. And I was going to say, and also to somatically resonate, which other episodes we'll be getting into, and perhaps we will as well, just that sense of being mirrored, of being met, of being communicated to and with in a way, as you say, that's safe and that's regulating. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. It was really the first safe relationship. Oh, it's so beautiful. So obviously there's this classic thing of girls loving being around horses and usually it's prepubescent or in that process of puberty. So it's interesting. Is anything else you want to say about that, about how that might aid the process of coming into puberty by being around these big animals that aren't sexualized, even though, of course, the outside world tends to sexualize or teehee about that relationship. But clearly, there is some sort of aspect of being with horses that helps girls develop, perhaps, as you're saying, just into feeling their bodies so that they can create a foundation by which and through which they can be sexual in a healthier way. Absolutely. Absolutely. We live in a culture where young girls, I'm talking nine, 10 year old girls are sexualized. And so even at that young age, 
maybe you are not consciously aware of being sexualized, of being objectified before you even fully have mm-hmm. your own sense of sexuality. I believe the animal body can feel that objectification. It can feel that sexualization. And what horses provide is, yes, they are absolutely feeling you. They're sensing you. They're not objectifying. They're not sexualizing. Mm-hmm. They're being with. And that being with, we know that connection to other is also a means of connection to ourselves. So it is that mirror back into ourself. And the other thing I just want to add is that in my business, I often see that women in their midlife, late 30s, 40s, return to horses. Mm. Or maybe it's an interest that they've always had. And that's when they say, you know what, I'm going to pursue this. So I see a lot of women coming to me in middle age, because my sense is that there is that deep desire to claim their own sexuality, not through the male gaze, not through objectification, not through the societal pressure of this is what sexy looks like, but that embodied, this feels good. And this is my turn on. And And you and I both, I'm sure, agree that in order to do that, you have to be able to feel your body, which is very difficult to do if part of you is either on the ceiling or in some fantasy of how you should look according to porn or your partner's projection or what you want to look like. So, of course, if you aren't feeling the horse, I mean, of course, this is what your work is helping people feel and be felt. A way that keeps them one in relationship to the horse on the ground, but two keeps them in harmony with the horse on his or her back. If that's what they do, they actually ride horses, which I just want to be clear. A lot of your clients don't actually get on top of horses, right? They're just being with your horses in the corral. Exactly. Most of my work is from the ground. Sometimes I will put a client on my lead mare, Sophie. She's one of the best therapy horses I've ever worked with. Her work in the world is really it's sexual trauma recovery. Mm. Now, can I fully explain why this horse is so good at this work? No, but she is. (laughs) (laughs) She happens to be the mare who found you and you found her. Exactly. That's phenomenal. Yeah. So why don't we go there? How does she do that? How do you do that? How do you both do that together? Yeah. So I think what is important to share is that my personal background does have sexual trauma in it. And so I've been on a path of healing for going on three decades, nearly. So as much as I have evolved and I have healed, it's in the fabric of my being. So that experience, it doesn't go away, but it evolves and it unfolds into something else. And in my case, it has become my life's work to work with people who have experienced trauma, whether it be sexual trauma or not. But the humans that tend to show up here at Shakti Ranch working with me, I would say minimally 80% of them have sexual trauma in their history. And so whether I'm getting a client on Sophie or we're just working from the ground, 
It is in the frequency of the work. It's what I bring, even if I don't say directly, I'm a sexual trauma (laughs) therapist, the people who show up, there is oftentimes that in their history. And so is there something specifically that we do to release that or to work with that? No, it's in the fabric of the work. It's in my consciousness. It's in this horse's consciousness, which I will never understand why. Sophie has been my greatest teacher. Um, A lot of animals and horses too have been sexually traumatized in that they've been bred, i.e. commercially raped, or they're put in with horses they don't know who might be sexual with them and impregnated in ways they don't want to be. So I just want to add that because I had just heard that term for the first time fairly recently, living around a lot of animal agriculture, animal industry. It's such a horrible term, but it's basically based on forced sex, you know? So I just want to put that out there that it's not foreign to animals either. No, no. And also just the patriarchal system of domination and oppression and one up, one down and transaction. So my practice is hopefully not transactional, but experiential of you safely returning to the body. And what I call returning to the scene of the crime. So Mm. when was volition taken away? When was something taken without consent? When were those moments that choice was not an option? And going back and discovering the stories that were made of that, Mm-hmm. Because as you know, in trauma release work, it, yes, there is the traumatic event, but what really creates the most impact and damage is the story that we make of it mm-hmm. afterwards. Mm-hmm. And so coming back into the body and kind of rewiring our volition, rewiring into sovereignty. Yes. Yes. I couldn't agree with you more. And I I also just want to add that, of course, the more we do our own work and are comfortable or at least brave enough to face our shadows, mm-hmm. the more people, either through what we tell potential clients that we are doing, or they sniff out pretty quickly that we can hold space and we won't be judging them and we won't make them ashamed. That's what they've been through on the contrary, and which I think is unfortunate. I mean, somebody told me a client of mine mentioned that they had told a therapist about early sexual trauma and the therapist couldn't handle it at all. And it just made it worse for her. At the very least, she wasn't able to understand that it really mattered, that it was a big deal, that it was life-changing and that So many of her subsequent experiences were stacking up on top of that very cracked foundation. So I just wanted to acknowledge the importance of what you said, that you've been working on this for decades. And even if you don't feel 100% healed, if there is such a thing, that it's not about that. It's about that you have been in those trenches and you've experienced all these different nooks and crannies. (laughs) of the process so that you can guide people through theirs. Yep, and, uh, exactly. So one of the things, though, that you've described to me, I want to make clear is 
that you continue to be a very sexual person, not just with chosen partners, but also with yourself. And there's lots of teaching about the importance of self-pleasure and knowing your own body sexually and knowing what pleases you and then being able to communicate that to somebody else. There's a lot of teachings about that. But what I find far more unusual and difficult to find is how you have developed your practice of pleasure to be a resource for your spiritual development, your emotional health, and your creative life. Mm -hmm. Because you've mentioned to me that you use pleasure and erotic energy for creating, co-creating the life you want. So I would love for you to talk about any and all of that. Yes. Yes. So, uh, you know, Ali, it's just, it's been such a journey just to come into full relationship with the body, with my body, having experienced abuse as a child, sexual trauma as a young adult. But this is what, this is that I think I've really discovered and I want to share. If I don't fully connect with my animal body, all of it, if I'm not seeing and hearing and smelling and feeling and tasting pleasure, tuning into pleasure, all of the things, beautiful things, listening to music that I love, that inspires me, eating foods that make me feel good and that taste good, taking care of my body, doing things that my body loves, dancing, all of those things, all of these sensory experiences, then it's going to be really hard for me to tap into my full sexuality. So it begins with sensuality. Now, it's not like TikTok or Instagram sensuality. Like, I mean, literally senses, tapping into the senses. That's the, the entry point into the body. And then from there, the sexuality is there. We're animals. Right? And so we, we are wired for pleasure. So my practice every day, I try to do it every day, is to just at some point in the day, take a break, lay down, take maybe a little nap, and then just really move into touch, touching myself. And just feeling that connection to myself. So wait, so I just want to say when you said touching yourself, because I'm looking at you, you actually gestured to your face yeah. and yeah. your neck and your upper yeah. body. And I just want to include that because when we hear the term touching yourself, we tend to assume it's genitals. Yes, yes. So there's this porn world of videos of women masturbating and immediately they're just like going right for the clips. Like I don't personally, I don't know any woman who wants to have her clit touched right out of the gate. <laughs> right. We are wired for connecting with our senses for connecting. I turn myself on by putting on a beautiful pair of panties or a bra or some type of outfit that I think is beautiful. 
And then from there, moving into the senses, moving into like touch with my body, listening to music that inspires me. And who knows what that might be because it changes from day to day, but really connecting with beauty and then discovering that beauty and that sensuality within myself. And that's the romance, romancing myself, which if you think about what romance is, romance is energy towards intention and presence. So I give that to myself. That's an act of self-love. And it's also self-pleasure too. Hello folks, it's Ali shifting focus for a moment. For decades, I've helped thousands of people with their body experience, helping individuals and groups overcome struggles with the infinite challenges of being bodies, like body dysmorphia or loathing, core issues behind sexual dysfunction or sexual compulsivity, intimacy after sexual trauma, successful sobriety after sex, drug, and behavioral addictions, and so much more. All my work is so effective because I let the body do the talking. Whether you're seeking support with body image, sexuality, trauma recovery, or overcoming addictive patterns and behaviors, my sessions will offer you pivotal and profound insights that may have been evading you throughout years and years of traditional and alternative therapies. Reach out today to schedule a free discovery call. I'd love to work with you and support you in accessing and reclaiming more of the freedom, pleasure, and brilliance of your experience as a body. All information can be found in the show notes below or on my website at www.alimezey.com slash services. I hope to hear from you. When I'm listening, I'm also thinking about what male people listening to this, or as people say, penis owners (laughs) listening to this. I imagine, and of course, this is a projection, but I imagine that some people would be like, wow, that would turn me on for someone else to be doing that in my presence, or just to hear a woman describe that. But I certainly would never do something like that. First of all, touch is so missing in many cultures, if not the world, there is not enough touch. And particularly, I would say, men do not even know that they're missing a lot of men, obviously some do don't know how much, a lot of bodies don't know how much they're touch deprived. Yeah. Even within sexuality, Mm -hmm. they are just not very attuned. Many people to sensuality and touch and just everything you're describing being a massive part of what turns on most people, not just female people, but most people are going to be more turned on by that. Mm -hmm. And yet recently I had this weird experience when I asked a guy to slow down in how he was kissing and touching me. And he got so fucking offended. Like he, he was offended and he was just like, that's not what I do. You're trying to control me. And I was like, whoa, dude. Um, actually I was just trying to get some pleasure from this while I'm also trying to meet you in what you need, Mm -hmm. you know, but when his response was, well, I just do what I do. And maybe months down the line, if you want me to change something. And I was like, 
months down the line. <laughs> I'm so out of here. <laughs> yeah. I just found out what I need to know. Yeah. You know? But I thought about it for a long time afterwards. He was like, well, you're talking about sensuality. He, he could not make the bridge between sensuality and sexuality. So of course I was reverse engineering that like, what the hell, you know, how yeah. do people grow up in a world where there is just not even a lack of touch, but a lack of appreciation of even needing it, let alone being able to provide it to someone yeah. else. I think what you stumbled into is really a culture that is not based in consent. We have not been a culture of consent. We've been a culture of just taking what you want. And acquiescing. Acquiesce, yeah. So there's compliance, compliance rather than consent. Yeah. And domination rather than collaboration. And so sensuality, dropping into the, the senses sight, sound, smell, all of the things is the gateway to consent. What am I feeling? Is this a yes? Am I ready for penetration? Mm, not quite yet. Or yes, I am. Am I ready for more? Do I need to slow down? It's tuning into what is happening right here, right now. Which is all the harder to do, by the way, if you're stoned or if you're intoxicated in any way. Yeah. Yeah. Because that automatically dissociates one. I was having a conversation a couple of days ago with a young woman. We were talking about the use of cannabis and how it can intensify the senses and mm -hmm. sensuality and sexual desire, but it can make communication and being relational with someone else even more difficult. So you can agree to stuff that actually doesn't feel good to you other than in this very brief, you know, physical experience. Right. But also just on that note, my experience of using cannabis while being sexual with someone with somebody that you are in relationship with yes, and there is safety and there is trust. There's all the things. My experience is that it's amazing because it does heighten the senses. But once again, like if you don't have that foundation of trust and safety, then yeah, it's fast tracking that. Well, there's a disconnect. So yeah. that what your body or what this aspect of your sensuality is doing can be so dislocated from your heart and how comfortable you actually feel with the actual person you're with. Yes. And that can create some very discordant feelings and regret. I also wanted to add something that when you were talking about a culture of non-consent, that we also are in a world where speaking about sex and communicating about it is rare. People don't learn how to speak about it young with their parents or even with peers. It certainly isn't spoken about in school for the most part, unless a kid gets lucky. And obviously there's natural curiosity. And so it makes it all the more difficult to speak with somebody who's even you've been married to for decades. It's amazing how few people actually speak about sex. You and I love the topic. <laughs> So when we're around each other, we tend to always discuss it because yeah. it fascinates us. 
Mm-hmm. And we're comfortable speaking about it, but the lack of communication is always at the bottom or one of the main things at the bottom of non-consent, displeasure, dissatisfaction, a lot of trauma, a lot of regret, yeah. because a lot of people have the best intentions. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, particularly man people, they actually would love to be able to please a woman and not dominate her. And they just think they're doing what they are supposed to do. And they don't know. And women play along a lot and fake their pleasure a lot. It's super common. And so nobody's telling the truth. Yes. It's such a tender topic because there is so much sexual trauma. Now, granted, that's my field. But out of my friends and acquaintances, I would say that number is probably around 80% that have experienced sexual trauma. So I think this is, it's like this hidden experience and where things are in hiding, there is shame. And where there is shame, there's going to be some contraction and that is not the zone of pleasure. And so in my intimate relationships, what I try to do without becoming their therapist But I do ask the questions like, tell me about your first sexual experience and tell me about asking them like, like, what was your first kind of turn on and really beginning to learn what my partner has experienced, what they're navigating, if there's been any trauma imprints so that I, as a partner a conscious sex partner can be attuned to that. And so that we can create the safe experience. I mean, I can't tell you how many men that I know, and I've had sex with that have had some level, whether it is being molested, or even something like as a little boy, as a toddler, that they got an erection and their mother slapped their penis and told them they were bad. So how could this not affect how they show up in their sexuality? And so having being in that conversation with compassion and curiosity, that's where we have to be to have healthy intimacy. Without it, we're in the dark corners of shame. And performance. And performance. Yeah. I love that. I agree with you completely. And I wanted to add to that list because I think a lot of people don't recognize what sexual trauma may have been for them. Yeah. They might think, well, you know, I wasn't bent over in the basement of a church mm-hmm. or I didn't have these really obviously upsetting and highly sexual situations happen. So I must not be traumatized when really there's so many ways, as you say, of being humiliated in a specifically sexual way, particularly around the shape of your body, the size of your genitals, all those different things that can really be deeply imprinting and affecting And also just in general, what I was saying before is that how can you fully engage your pleasure body, as you say, your animal body, 
if you're not allowed to be emotional, if you're not allowed to ever feel sad or ever feel afraid or ever feel angry, because if you're really in all your tissues and you're feeling your whole body or you're feeling the inside of your vagina, where there's going to be storage of all kinds of experiences that may not have been really good ones. It is going to heighten or trigger emotional experience if yeah. you're feeling your body, you're likely going to feel your emotions. So when I was working with sex addiction in a clinic in Los Angeles, I really realized case after case that a lot of men weren't even really feeling their bodies at all. They were barely even feeling their genitals. They were having all kinds of sexual activity. Yeah but they weren't really feeling more than maybe 10 seconds of their bodily experience. So I just wanted to add that I believe that our cultures, most cultures are, are sexually traumatizing just in the lack of communication. Again, the lack of touch, the lack of being allowed to feel and see and connect to all the things that naturally are going to come alive when you're feeling your body in a sensual and sexual way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what we want from each other. We're wired that we want authenticity. We want the truth. We want connection. Our animal bodies can feel when things are performative. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel good. I can't tell you how many partners I have had that have just shared with me, like, oh my God, you are just so in your body and your experience and your pleasure. And it is such a turn on. The fact that I'm in it, I'm connecting, but first and foremost, I'm in my pleasure. And they can yes. tell the difference yeah. even from somebody who seems to be in their pleasure because they're making the right sounds. Exactly. We think that we can fool each other. <laughs> Not really. Well, unless you want to be fooled and you want to keep thinking you're super studly. But I mean, if you're not feeling yourself, then you're not going to feel the difference. So you might have a sense there's something off, but it sounds good. So, hey, man. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So back to your experience with yourself, because obviously there is a big difference in many ways about what it's like to be with somebody as opposed to what it's like to be with yourself. Mm -hmm. So I would like to hear, I'm sure other people would too. How is it different for you when you're being sensual and sexual by yourself, as opposed to when you're being with someone else? Mm -hmm. Yes. So I was never taught anything about sex as a child. I came into a masturbation practice at the age of 20, almost 23. Wow. I did not know how to do it. I would kind of hear friends, like maybe make references to it or like on TV, some references or jokes And it was one of those, oh, yeah, I'm just going to pretend like I know what everybody's talking about (laughs) and having no idea. And so I remember I bought my first vibrator and I was just like, I didn't, I knew nothing. And so I think it took me probably three or four months 
before Mm -hmm. I even had an orgasm masturbating because I didn't had an orgasm before. Yes. I had an orgasm. Yes. I had had orgasms that were very hit or miss with penetration. Mm -hmm. So I was having this for 80% of vulva owners anyway. So yeah. Yeah. a lot better than a lot of 80% of people experience. Exactly. Right. And so I, I guess I was fortunate in that because I was I, probably having G-spot orgasms, which are great. So it was really this discovery. And then as I moved through my healing and recovery with my own trauma work and just becoming even more attuned to my body, what it looks like now is Sometimes I'll use a vibrator, but most of the time I don't because I want that sensation. I want the fingertips. Our fingertips have the most amount of nerve endings. Mm-hmm. So I want that input and I don't. And you know, output. And output. Yes. I've certainly looked at porn. It's not like I've never looked at porn in my life. But porn takes me out Mm -hmm. of the experience and I want to stay in. So I'm staying with my breath. I'm staying with the touch. I'm staying with the smell, smelling my pussy, really being with all of the senses. Sometimes I'll video myself Mm -hmm. because I am my greatest turn on. (laughs) <laughs> that is not because I'm the most beautiful woman in the world. Well, you're, not, you're a hot woman for sure. <laughs> it's because I choose on a daily basis to love all of the parts of me. Some days are easier than others. I have not nailed this practice. I'm not going to say I have nailed this self-love. What would it be like if you had nailed it? What do you imagine you're missing in it? I don't think there is a finish line. This is the practice of turning towards yourself and loving all the parts of your body. I'm reading a book right now by Sonia Renee Taylor. She's an African-American queer woman. And the book is called The Body is Not an Apology. Mm. And it is just blowing my mind. And pretty much every single person that I know is hearing about that book, because I think it's so important. And it's really moving into this paradigm and this way of being, if you are not fully loving your body and honoring your body and accepting your body, then how are you going to give that to someone else? Hmm. If you're down for justice, if you're down for compassion, if you're down for love, it starts here. It's from the inside out. And so I think to circle back my daily, I call it my meditation masturbation is really to connect with my animal body, which makes me a better therapist. It makes me a better lover. It makes me a better friend. It makes me a better mom, like all of the things. Yeah. And I just want to emphasize that it sounds like it has nothing to do with horniness per se. That's not what's motivating you to lie down every day or stand in front of a mirror or whatever it is you're doing. This is, as you are describing so beautifully, this is a devotional 
experience where you are devoting yourself to learning and receiving and circulating more and more love. Yes. Self, but also for life. Yeah. Would you talk about how you then also use it? Because I've heard you describe using this energy and this pleasure creatively as a prayer. And I would love for you to talk about that because I find it so inspiring. So I don't know if you're familiar with human design. I know about it. I don't know much. So in human design, I'm a manifester, which is a smaller segment. I think it's maybe about 9% of the population. So my wiring, the way I operate is really through manifesting creatively. So I'm that person that is oftentimes doing the thing that is not even a thing yet, right? Like creating it. On horseback. Yeah, yoga on horseback wasn't a thing until I created it eight years ago. And so my process for that creation and manifestation, it really does come from a place of pleasure. It comes from the senses. I love beautiful things. I love beautiful scents. I like songs that have beautiful lyrics. I'm wired for beauty and pleasure. And from that space, connecting with what my animal body loves, that is really how I create. And so this masturbation meditation is a devotional practice for myself, but also for my creative expression too. Can you give us an example? Like what if you need $10,000 or what if you want, I don't know, to meet somebody who can help you with your business? Are those the kinds of things you'll manifest when you're in masturbation meditation? Or is it more open? Like I just want more beauty, more abundance in my life. And then it shows up in a variety of ways. Yeah. I don't know if I necessarily go in with a specific intention, but I do hone and I do move through life with a level of openness to receiving. So I think there is that receptivity, which is what the senses are. So it all comes back to the body. It all comes back to the body. And when I say body, I mean the senses, all of them. So I just want to add too that with this masturbation meditation, you're also, I hate to use such a pedestrian word for something so beautiful, but you're also training your body, reminding your body that it is safe in those moments because you're present when you're in your senses, you have to be present in order to experience them. And what lack of safety does is it takes us out and away from from our feeling, from our senses, and from our sense of safety. So I love that every day you're reminding your body necessarily in just your experience of pleasure. You can't feel that if you don't feel safe. And if you don't feel safe, you're not going to be feeling that pleasure. So it's just growing this muscle. Because I'm safe, I can open to the world. I can open to life and its opportunities. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Yep. That's exactly what it is. And it's a devotional practice. 
So any advice you have for people who are just like, oh my God, I'm so far from doing that. What do you recommend to help people at least get started in this experience? Start with the senses. Start with nature. For me, nature is so sensual. Just looking at the flowers and trees So really engaging your sense of sight on the beauty of nature is, I think, an absolute great way to start. And then coming into engaging the sense of smell. I wear perfume every day. I have like 10 different perfumes. Just because I work with horses doesn't mean that, you know, you're always, you're always put together in a really sensual way. So turning towards the senses. So find that perfume that you love. As I'm saying it, I hope this doesn't sound trite because this has kind of been pitched to us from a capitalistic lens of buy the perfume. But love that you're saying. Do the thing that turns you on, that makes you feel good. I don't leave the house. I don't go out to feed the horses without putting on some lipstick that I think makes me look pretty. I want to look pretty for myself, for the horses. And so it's not that patriarchal male gaze. It's what do I like? What colors do I feel good in? What smells do I like to smell? What fabrics feel good on my body? What about for penis owners? What about for men? What about for male people? It's the same thing. We're all, we are animals. We're not that different. We've been raised in a culture that really tries to separate us. Men are this way. Women are this way. Allie, I don't think we're that different. (laughs) I really don't. And also, side note, men have suffered at the altar of patriarchy just as much as women agree with you. Yeah. And so it's not different. I think for all of us, it's connecting with our senses, turning on yourself, turning towards what makes you feel good, what makes you feel alive. I think that's the formula. Love it. So I've just got a couple more questions for you. So how do you define embodiment? It is being with the senses. That's embodiment, being with the senses. Love it. (laughs) So simple and so profound. Yeah. What do you like best about being your body? I love, I love that I will continually surprise myself because I'm curious. So cultivating that curiosity, I can be in the grocery store and notice a woman or a man or who knows, different ethnicities, different gender, different ages, and have that openness that my animal body can be curious about that person and kind of wonder, wonder what they're like. And so it's really staying in that place of curiosity and playfulness. 
You're a gorgeous being. I so admire you. And I'm so touched by everything you said. Well, thank you. A beautiful question. It's like staying in that inquiry, being curious. I think that's a big part of the formula and the practice. So if people want to contact you and are interested in working with you, with your horses, with your yoga to increase their own sensuality, where Mm -hmm. should people go? So I'm here in Malibu. My business and my home is called Shakti Ranch. H-A-K-T-I Shakti. And Shakti means feminine wisdom. ShaktiRanch.com. One of these days we're going to do a collaborative workshop. So stay tuned for that too. That should be really special. I would love that. I'm down. If you're asking, it's a yes. (laughs) (laughs) To be continued then. Thank you so much again for sharing yourself so deeply and so brilliantly. Thank you, Allie. See you soon. Thanks so much for sticking around till the end. If you enjoyed this episode, please give that like button a little click. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and hit that notification bell. I've got a bunch of fascinating guests lined up with trailblazing experts in the field that I'm really excited to share with you. I'm eager to hear from you too. So don't be shy. Drop a comment below. Share your thoughts, suggestions, or just say hi. Your insights on this episode mean the world to me. So go ahead, spread some love, like, subscribe, and share your thoughts below. Your support keeps this channel going strong, and I'm genuinely grateful for each and every one of you. Till next time, stay brilliant. I hope you found this episode inspiring. If you'd like to learn more about the many ways I'm encouraging and guiding the wider world to reclaim the brilliance of the body, please visit my website at www.alimezey.com. Thanks so much for listening. Until the next episode and beyond, reclaim your brilliant body. The Brilliant Body Podcast was created by Ali Mazay. This episode was co-produced and edited by Ali Mazay and Florence Popoff. Thanks to Rachel Fell and Nina Demore for additional editing, to Florence Popoff also for my social media management, and to composer, Blair, Mr. One Man Ben Wilson for my theme music. 